Good morning, beloved. You sleeping? Good morning, beloved. My God. Some of y'all about to get saved this morning. Watch out. Esther. The book of Esther. Would you like to know why I chose to begin a study in the book of Esther? We had just finished a study through the book of Hebrews. And... uh, I'm sure you all agree with me. The book of Hebrews was an easy, easy study with with no challenges, nothing to convict our hearts, nothing going on in the book of Hebrews to challenge our own mindsets or the way that we think about things. And it's an easy book to read. You know, you just pick it up and you, you know, immediately understand that's every everything that's going on with high priest and Melchizedek and who's a what's. And it was an easy book to read, wasn't it? You guys can disagree with me. Say no. No. The book of Hebrews was an easy book to read, wasn't it? No. Thank you. I didn't think so either. I was just messing with you, see if you're awake this morning. It's a tough book. That's why we took a break twice throughout it. And so I thought, got down on my knees, dear Lord, help me to be a good pastor because I... I feel like I've been beating these people over the head with quote-unquote deep theology. Help me be a good pastor, Lord. Where should I go from here? I know. Let's go to an easy book in the Bible. Let's go to a book with no contentious arguments for us to get behind. Let's go to a book where there won't be any division. Let's go to a book that's easy to read. Let's go to a book that's encouraging, that reminds me that I'm a child of God. Let's go to the book of Esther. And that is all that you need to know to be saved and be glorified in the kingdom. You missed it, Deanne. Sorry about that. (laughs) Let's go to the book of Esther, an easy book to read. Turns out, even in the book of Esther, I can make you disagree with me. I think that's funny. doesn't hurt my feelings. Hey, if you want to surrender to ministry, be ready to take it on the chin. past five sermons, I've been saying something. Brother Lane, don't get mad at me. Brother Lane gave me some advice Wednesday morning. He said, sometimes you just got to drop things. That's not who I am, man. I've been saying I don't really think of Esther as a hero, not in the parts of the book that we've been reading. And some of you have been saying, what do you mean she's not a hero? Esther's a hero of the faith. And I look back at the story of Esther, and I see God working through a woman to save the Israelite people from genocide in a day when they would have been wiped out. And it's because of Esther's faith to God that she goes before King Ahasuerus, and she stands before him, led by God. And and through all of these things, the Jews are saved. And because the Jews are saved, Jesus Christ comes into the world. Because he comes into the world, he dies on a cross, is buried in a tomb, is resurrected, and I have put my faith in him, and I believe that he died for my sins. Do you think Esther's a hero of the faith? You guys aren't listening to me this morning. Yes, you can say that. Do you think Esther's a hero of the faith? Now say it out loud like you're a Baptist. Say it like you want Brother James to hear you say it. Do you think Esther's a hero of the faith? Yes. Me too. 
Last week, the title of our sermon was called, Can We Skip to the Good Part? Guess where we're at this morning? We're at the good part. Open your Bibles to Esther chapter 4. We'll begin reading in chapter 12. Read through the end of the chapter at verse 17. Shorter passage than what we've been looking at in this narrative study. Um, There's a lot to unpack. Matter of fact, normally my sermons have three points. I've got four points. And so we're going to move through them a bit faster um, than usual this morning. But we're looking at a smaller passage. And so be prepared for that. I say all that to give you time to open your Bibles because I don't want to be the only one with my Bible open. If I do that, we're doing this wrong. If we're worshiping God, your Bible's open in front of you as I read out loud. But I tell you what, I don't think myself capable enough to do anything without God's help. I don't think myself wise enough, strong enough, big enough, man enough to do anything without the aid of my Savior behind me. And so what we're going to do before we read this is we're going to pray. Will you pray with me? Don't just close your eyes and wait for the amen cue so that you can say amen. I want you to listen to what I'm praying, how I'm leading us in prayer, and I want you to pray it in your heart. Sound good? Thank you for saying yes. You're catching on. One of you is. All right. Father in heaven, come to you. Fallible, lacking, wanting, desperate, reminded of our need of a Savior. Reminding that it was by your work that we came into salvation. Reminding that it was by your blood that we are redeemed. Reminded that as we approach your holy and inspired word, Lord, that your truth is buried in this. And it will not be by anything that I am that we will be able to understand it, that we will be able to unpack that truth. It'll be because you illuminate such truth in our hearts. We bow, Lord, asking that you would remove sin that encumbers us as we approach your throne, as we approach this holy discipline of reading your word. God, we pray that you would, as a psalmist said, open the eyes of our heart, O Lord, that we might be able to behold the wondrous truth found in your law. Grant us understanding. Amen. Esther chapter 4 verse 12 begins, the Bible says, And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, And hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. 
If I perish, I perish. Wow. What a marvel that is. Esther knew the law of the land. Remember, where we have been so far in the book of Esther is this decree has gone out. This horrible man, Haman, has said he's going to kill all of the Jews. He has everything that he needs to kill all of the Jews. He has the king's authority behind him. He has a decree that has been sent out, a decree in a time in history when such orders are irreversible. Even the king can't say, oops, I was inebriated when I made that choice. Let's back out of that. No, remember Queen Vashti, she's gone. He can't back out of his decrees. They're done. Set in stone, as it were. That's where we get that phrase, to be set in stone. Here's another law. Can't go into the king's presence unless he has requested me to come to him. Esther says, I want to go to the king's presence even though he hasn't requested me to come to him because there's one little loophole. If he extends this golden scepter out to me and I find favor in the king's eyes, then he will accept me and I'll be able to come to him. Let's not forget what happens more often than not. You go to the king's presence, you die. You think being queen gave Esther special privileges with respect to this law? Just remember chapter 1. What happened to Vashti when she disobeyed the king's orders? She was made no longer queen. Something I think we miss when we look at the book of Esther. Because it's a good story. How much time do you think has passed between chapter 1 and chapter 4 where we're at? Just a few days, right? I mean, we've preached this whole thing in five, five sermons so far. This is the sixth sermon through our study through Esther. How much time would you say has passed? Flip back to a second to chapter 1 verse 3. Make note that this story begins in the third year of King Ahasuerus' reign. Chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that this was in the third year of King Ahasuerus' reign. Flip up to chapter 2, verse 16. We find that at the time that this decree goes out in all of the land, I'm sorry, we find that the first time that Esther goes before Ahasuerus, when they have this beauty contest to find the next queen, chapter 2, verse 16, that takes place in the 10th month of the 7th year. Stick with me. We went from the 3rd year of his reign to the 7th year of his reign. Go to chapter 3, verse 7. When Haman made this decree to kill all of the Jews, that took place in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus' reign. Now, I'm not good at math. I do preacher math. So that seems about like 10 years to me. Some of you accountants can tell me that's actually 8, and then if I look at the months, it's maybe a little bit short of 8 and, you know, whatever. But I'm a preacher. I'm a simple guy, so I do simple math. Sounds about like 10 years have passed to me. Sound good? Is 10 years a substantial amount of time or pretty short? about a third of my life. Some of you are saying, well, that's only a sixth of my life. Some of you are saying it's only a seventh. John Goddard's the oldest one here. He's saying that's an eighth of my life. Good for you, Brother John. I've got a question for you real fast. Brother John, is 10 years a long time? 
Can your personality change a lot in 10 years? I think so too. First point of our sermon this morning, you guys are going to love this. I'm going to have to say it multiple times for you to understand what I'm trying to say. If you is what you was, you ain't. You know what it means to be a Christian? It means that you're transformed, that you're changed from the inside out. Your personality, your attitude, your values, your mission, your objectives, who you are, the way that you conduct yourself, it all changes. And I want you to hear this this morning, loved ones. If you is what you was, you ain't a Christian. It's that simple. If you think that you have believed in Jesus Christ and you live your life with no fruit, you are not a Christian. If you are trying to better yourself by being something better than you are and by your own strength you are leaning on all of this, you are not a Christian because it is not you that saves you. It is God. If you is what you was, you ain't. Why did I cause so much trouble by saying that I don't think Esther's a hero as we preached the last four sermons? Was it because I'm stupid and dumb? Was it because I'm trying to stir up trouble? Was it because I don't care about ruffling your feathers because I don't care about you? No. The reason I caused so much trouble is because I want you to see Esther was not a hero. And something happened in her life in those ten years between chapters 1 and chapter 4. Something happened between now and then, and we see it. First, we see it in the fact that in 10 years, people grow up. I'm 30 years old. You catch that? Brother Lane, I told you about this, told me that sometimes I have to let things go. Don't think because I didn't take his advice, because I did take his advice, that I don't listen to him. Brother Lane has 20 more years of maturity on me, and I respect that. I respect that. The reason I didn't drop it is because I want you to see something even better than just the advice that I'm respecting and stirring up trouble. Maturity caused Mordecai to, for whatever reason, he went from sending his daughter, someone he was entrusted to, to a beauty contest in the Persian Empire. He went from, let's connect the pieces here. We studied Nehemiah not too long ago. I told you last week when Nehemiah took place, who was king in Nehemiah's day? King Cyprus, the grandfather of King Ahasuerus. Put that together in your head for a second. Two generations ago, the Jews were given permission by the people that they were in captivity under to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. What happens in Nehemiah's day? Not only do they rebuild the temple, but there is revival among the people. They become a covenant people again, covenanting not just with God, but amongst themselves that they will worship God the way that He is supposed to be worshipped. Here's Mordecai and Esther, two generations later, still hanging out in Susa. Why were they doing that? I'll tell you why. They look like most quote-unquote Christians today. Nominal. Not interested in growing in their faith. Not interested in contending in their faith. They want to live in the world and be of the world, and they don't want to be like Christ. Let me repeat again. If you is what you was, you ain't a Christian. Because when God gets a hold of your heart, He changes everything inside of you. And that's exactly what we find in Mordecai when he tells Haman, I will not bow down to you because I'm a Jew. 
He reconnects with the faith of his fathers and he makes it his own, not just an inheritance, not just a Jew by blood, not just born into a Christian family, not just born knowing the things of God, but accepting that great privilege, that great honor to know who he is. And he makes it his own and he says, I only bow to my king who is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the one who holds all things under his power. Something changed. Esther was probably a 14-year-old girl at the beginning of our story. She's now what? 10 years? 24. Maybe even older than that. Crisis grabs hold of her. Here's what I want you to notice. Mordecai responds to Esther and he says, Esther... I know you don't want to go into the king's presence. I get it. Remember, we talked last week about how she had isolated herself from the problems for the Jews, that she lived in her such ivory tower, her state of comfort that she didn't have to contend with all of this. She said, I can't go before the king. And Mordecai reminds her, first, do not think yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. Here's a first reminder. Do not think because you can provide for yourself while you are on earth that you will be saved any more than those that stand at the judgment of Christ. The only thing that will save us is understanding God's love for us. Being changed. Because if we are who we were before we were saved, if we try to live our life, if we try to respond to a message, if we try to come down and pray a prayer or say whatever we're supposed to say and there is no transformation in our life, you'll go to hell with the rest of them. I can say that with confidence because I have seen what God has done in my own life. This isn't just academic nonsense. This is experiential Why do I want you to know that Esther wasn't a hero and then she became a hero in a moment of crisis? Because I am like Esther and so are you. I want you to know that even though you have failures in your past, even though you have guilt of sin that compels you to come to God, I want you to know that God can use you. I want you to know that the hero of every story is God and that he is the story of he is the hero of your own story. If you're called by his name, saved by his grace, he's the hero of your own life. Some of you are looking at me like that might be easy to say while you stand up there in your green suit and you're and standing from the pulpit and you're the pastor of a church. How bad could you have been before you were saved? I'll tell you how bad I was before I was saved. I was raised by two drug addicts. My dad was arrested of first-degree murder. I was involved in crime. My dad taught me as a five-year-old to steal things from other people while he distracted them in his office. And I thought nothing of it because that's who I was. My best friend came back. My best friend since fourth grade, he's been staying with us a while. And we were at dinner and he reminded me of a comment I said whenever I was dating as a young man. I heard that comment and I shriveled up inside of myself because I sounded, and it wasn't my fault, I didn't really think this way, but the words, if anyone else would have heard them, they would have thought that I was a womanizing chauvinist. Because that's what I had seen. I wasn't my own man. I was a man shaped by the world, and I dealt with those consequences. 
Listen to me, if you're shaped by the world, you're not your own man. You're not your own person. You want to be changed, you're not going to do it on your own. You'll continue to be shaped by this world. The Bible says until we are saved, we are spiritually dead. You can't save yourself, friends. You can't reach up and say, I'm going to better myself. Sure, you might be able to read a self-help book. You might be able to get better at managing your household personal finances. You might read a book about how you can speak to people and become more charismatic and more friendly. It's not going to change you. It's not going to change you the way the gospel can change you. It's not going to change you the way they can transform everything about you. This is what happened in Esther's life. Faced with crisis, she realized that not like Mordecai, she needed to make her faith her own. She needed to make her faith her own. She was faced with crisis and she said, what'd she do? We, told, we talked about it in our introduction, didn't we? She's going to become a hero. She's going to become a hero. Man, some of you are trying to run away and get away from crisis. Some of you come to church. Maybe you came to church the first time because you're trying to avoid crisis in your life. Biblical counseling, we deal with this from time to time. Somebody comes in from off the street and they say, Hey, Pastor, I can't afford, you know, the professional, so I guess I'll come to you. It makes me feel great about myself when people say that, by the way. <laughs> um, so I thought I'd come to you, see if you could help me. Yeah, what's going on? What are you struggling with? All sorts of things. Depression, money problems, the list goes on. Yeah, I've got the answer for that. All of it, all the problems that exist in the world, I've got all the answers. You guys thought you thought that I was a know-it-all. What do you think now? They're not my answers. The Bible speaks of itself, says that it is sufficient for all things pertaining to faith and life. I'll tell you the ultimate answer to every problem you could ever face. Make Jesus Lord of your life. I can walk with somebody through biblical counseling quite a ways and they can profit from it. They can benefit from it. Things can get better in their life. But ultimately, the only thing that's ever going to actually repair the problem is Jesus Christ. Do you guys believe that? Man, sometimes I preach messages and I just, as I'm standing up here, I just kind of get reminded all of a sudden just how much I believe in what I'm saying. Do you believe that the answer for every problem in this world is Jesus Christ? Man. These people, their crisis goes away because things seem to get a little bit better for them from time to time. And I stop seeing them. When their problem comes back, they think I failed them. And I wish I could say that I could convince people to believe in the gospel. I wish that's all I had to do. Dang it, I think I'm smart enough to convince somebody of anything. Give me long enough, stick them in a room. If they won't listen to my words, I'll just beat it into them. It doesn't work. The answer for every problem in this world is Jesus Christ. You will not escape just because you're a decent person. Just because you've made yourself somewhat better. If you is what you, you want to say it with me? If you is what you was, you ain't. Second, if you saved yourself, you ain't a Christian either. 
Listen, you might have some transformation going on in your life. You might even sit in church every Sunday. But if, if you're the one that saved yourself, you're not a Christian. Why do we need to stress that Esther wasn't a hero? Because God saved Esther. Even as a Jew, as an inheritor of the promises of God, going all the way back to the beginning covenant in, in, in Genesis, where God says to Abraham he's going to make him a people when the Jews are created. Going all the way back then. Yeah, she was born a Jew, but she wasn't a Jew until she was changed, until she was transformed. I want you to look at what Mordecai says after he reminds her that she will not escape like she will not escape any more than the other Jews. Verse 14 begins, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Now it kind of seems like Mordecai is talking out both sides of his face, doesn't it? He says, first of all, Esther, you're not going to escape. You're not better than all of us. If you don't do something about this, you'll perish just like all the other Jews. But hold on tight because all the Jews are going to be saved. Because if you won't do it, God will save us from some other means. I'm as smart as Mordecai, seems like. I can talk out both sides of my face. What did he mean? Mordecai was going back to these promises that God had established at the very beginning. He's reminding himself that God promised that the Jews would endure. That they would persevere. That they would be saved. That even though they were delivered into captivity because of their faithlessness towards God, that's how they wound up in Persia. Did he know that? Because of their faithlessness towards God. God brought crisis upon them. And they needed crisis. Crisis is a good thing. That's what I was trying to say earlier with all that biblical counseling nonsense. Crisis helps us. It reminds us that we need God. Crisis reminds us that we are not doing it on our own. Well, you've been delivered to such a time as this, Esther, and God's still going to deliver us even if you can't do it because we serve a faithful God. He's remembering the promises that he has inherited as a Jew. Just like today when I look at the state of the world and I look at things and I want to cry out that it's fallen apart and that the country that I love is turning away from God. And I'm reminded that the only thing that will save them is God. In all of this, I am reminded that my God's going to be faithful to his people. Listen, if you are the one that is saving yourself, you are not a Christian. Because you're not the one who has the ability to save yourself. This is what gives Mordecai the confidence to say that I am a Jew. This is what leads to all of this. Do we not say the same thing this morning when we cry out that I am a child of God and I will not bow to the powers of this world beyond the authority that God has given to them? Be careful, Christian. Make sure you read the book of Romans because check this out. The authorities that are on this world are here because God allows them to be there. And the Bible teaches us that we should obey such authorities up to a certain point. Because ultimately, we obey the authority of God. We obey Him in all that we do. And so what if there's a law that says that I can't go stand before the king and petition him? I'll do it. If they pass a law that says that I can't preach, you know what I'm going to do? Guys, I'm getting loud and animated. Do you want me to be quiet? I can be academic. That's fine. <clears throat> if the day should come that the government passes a law, 
What am I going to do if they pass a law that says that I can't preach? Preach. Amen. What are you going to do if they pass a law that says that you can't practice your faith? We are called by God's name and we serve a great and mighty king. And are you afraid of this world? Are you afraid of the way that things are going? No, because I know that he holds all things in control. And I pray that the crisis that I look out at is being used by his glory to call people unto him. I see it in this world today. I see people. I see people struggling with this world, with wickedness and with sin. And they come looking for an answer and they'll find it if they turn to Jesus Christ. And they're reminded that there's nothing that they can do to save themselves. Can I tell you something? I'm not preaching to the world right now. I'm surrounded by four God-forsaken walls that are keeping the world from hearing this voice. I'm preaching to you because I want you to know something. It's going to start when you remember that you're not the one that saved yourself. When you remember that it is God that delivered you from wickedness and sin. If you remember that it was God that brought you to Him. Then, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start trying to save people too. You're going to start pointing them to Christ. You're going to start believing these things that we talk about from time to time. If you is what you was, you ain't. If you saved yourself, you ain't. And if your limits are set by who you are, you ain't a Christian either. Follow me. Middle of verse 14, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther had limits upon herself. She was a young woman. Sure, she was beautiful. Sure, she was queen of the Persian Empire. She had all of these things going for her. Still, she did not think herself able to walk into the presence of the king without an invitation. You have limitations too, don't you? I said I want you to say it loud enough that Brother James can hear you. Brother James has limits. This wicked world has taken his ears away from him. I'm sorry about that, Brother James. There's people that have been serving in children's ministry for a long time. Sad. Because they're just getting tired. I don't know how Brother John does what he does. He had two knee surgeries at the same time. Got up and started walking. That man must have God on his side or something. We have limits too. You know why it's important that I said I don't think Esther's a hero up until this point? I've got limits too. You guys might not realize this about me, but I'm real bad at reading people. Real bad. I can't tell if someone's happy, sad, if I've offended them. I just don't get it. I prayed for God to give me the ability to do that. I, I, he hasn't done it yet. You want to pray with me? Pray that God will give me that ability. It would make your life easier too. But I tell you what, I don't, I don't think God's withholding that from me because He wants me to be worse off. I think He's withholding that from me because He's called me to be a preacher of the gospel. I don't think He wants me to know when people are offended. I think he wants me to worry about preaching the truth. 
So at the end of the day, if I offend you from time to time, and I might be wrong, listen, if I offend you, here's how you can help me out. In addition to praying, come and tell me. That's a mind-blowing assertion, isn't it? Someone offends you, come and talk to them. My goodness, we're going to act like Christians from time to time. I'm not saying that doesn't mean that I don't have to apologize, but at the end of the day, loved ones, when I'm up here at the church and no one else is around, and I'm spending my time praying, asking God if I'm a failure, asking God if I'm good enough to do this high and noble task that He has called me to do, I'm reminded that there's only one question I have to ask. Did I preach the truth? Yeah, we might have an audience here this morning. But when any man stands behind this pulpit or any pulpit in any of the great churches that have been saved by God's grace, they are preaching to please an audience of one. As we stand up at the end of this message, now I've still got two points, hold on. When we stand up at the end of this message and we start singing and we're worried about how our voices sing, we're singing to please one. I'm not the one that saved myself. Yeah, I've got limitations on me. Guess what? Even though I have all those limitations on me, As a new creation in Christ, I can do all things through Him who called me by His glorious name. Not only have I been changed, not only am I not who I once was, but I now have no limits beyond what God wants me to do. You know what my limitation is? If I try to do something on my own and God doesn't want me to do it, He'll shut the door. Think about this. If you've read Acts, you know Paul, when he was trying to get to Macedonia, he wasn't trying to go to Macedonia. God shut the door. In the same way, my limits are shaped by God. If I try to do something without Him, I'm not going to be able to do it. In the same way, you, if you're trying to get your life together so that you can be a hero of the faith, if you're trying to live for God and you're trying to do it without God, you're not going to be able to do it because you're still limited by the limitations that are put on you by this world. And the limits of this world suck. I'm not just talking about the natural laws of this world. I'm talking about how sin keeps you in bondage. I'm talking about the ensnarement and enslavery that we live in if we do not have God's deliverance. If your limits are set by who you are or who you were, you're not a Christian. Because a Christian's limits are set by the what we will be. What we will be when we are glorified. What we are when we spend time with God. When we are unencumbered by this world. When we spend time with God's people being encouraged and fellowshipping. When we worship God with our whole heart. When we set aside the burdens of trying to please everyone and we try to please Him. Fourth point. This is my last one. If your objectives are set by who you are, you ain't a Christian. We said if you is what you was, you ain't. 
We said, if you save yourself, you ain't. If we said, your limits are what is holding you back, you ain't. And finally, if your objectives are set by who you are, you ain't. Now listen to me, I'm not talking about setting goals being wrong. But if you've been transformed, if you've been changed, your objectives have changed too. If you're trying to please God, then what you are trying to accomplish has changed. Look at the next passage, verse 15. Esther's reply. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. And then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And what does she say right after that? If I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. Yeah, we have objectives in this world. Let me ask you what they are. You want to live a comfortable life? You want to make sure that every single month you're able to pay all your bills, have a little bit of money extra over? Not, not a lot. I'm a humble guy. A little bit of money left over that I could have some fun with my family. Maybe buy a movie. Maybe take my family to see a movie in the theater. I don't know. How much, how much are we talking J.P. Morgan, when someone asked him how much money is enough, he said, one more dollar. Let me tell you what, you'll never be pleased if your objective in life is financial comfort. Okay, so it's not that. You just want everybody to get along, be friends. Hey, I can be an amicable person. I found the best way to make sure that everyone is friends with me is just to close my mouth. You think I'd please God if I just closed my mouth? No. He's given me a commission. He's given me a commandment to go, to preach. You think God's going to be happy with you if you keep your opinions to yourself? Sometimes, yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes, probably you do. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know what? If your opinion's shaped by godliness... If you're convicted about something and you're able to identify that it's the leadership of the Spirit that's making you realize that your opinion matters, you think God's going to be glorified when you keep it to yourself? No. I'm not saying be reckless. I'm not saying act like an immature five-year-old that just gets louder whenever they want to make their point. My daughter's real good at that. She's very compelling. By the way, watch out. That little girl, when she gets old, is going to be convincing. She came in my room the other night. She said, Daddy, a beep, 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 me go to bed. I'll translate that for you. That means that she wants to sit in my bed, and I'll set a five-minute timer, and when it goes beep, 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 I'll take her back to her bed. I said, no, not tonight, sissy. You've got to go back to your bed right now. Okay, me go back to my bed, and then I come in here, wait, beep, 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 and go to my bed. I said, no, sissy, you're going to stay in your bed, and if you get out of your bed again, I'll lock you in your room. I'm just kidding. Don't call DHS on that. I don't lock them in their room. That's just a joke. That's for your benefit. No, Daddy, I sit in your room. I go beep, 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 me go bed. And her tactics don't really work right now, because it turns out when people get louder, they actually just make themselves look more dumb. But... 
Tell you what, as convicted as she is about what she believes, when she gets some tactfulness born into her and a little bit of maturity, she's going to be a force to reckon with. God help us, if she doesn't get saved, she's going to be a mighty warrior for the kingdom of God. My point's this. My objective can't be to make everyone happy. It can't be to get rich and be comfortable. My objective is to one day stand before Jesus Christ and to hear Him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Even though you were bad at reading people, you made a lot of people upset throughout your life. You held to the convictions that I put in your heart. And even though they don't know how much you love them, you really tried. You really cared about them. And I'll be reminded that I don't deserve it any more than any other man to stand before him and to hear those words, but because I sought him and because my objectives were changed. Speak those words to me. My objective in this life has nothing to do with this world other than that sinners would come to know the Savior that came to die for them. I don't think that I'm capable of saving people, y'all. But by God's mercy and by God's grace, I'm going to be holding on to their legs while they jump into fire. I'm going to be holding on to him, trying to convince him, sharing the gospel again with him that God is the one that saves. Because my objectives are not the objectives of this world. My objectives are the objectives given to me by my Lord. Get this straight. Sometimes we... We're so used to democracy, and democracy is a great thing in the world, especially in government. Whenever you've got everything's falling apart, it means that you can do something about it and change it. We may have parliamentary procedures in the church, but I want you to hear me. The church is not a democracy. There is not a single church that is a democracy. The church is a monarchy. We get marching orders from a king. We obey a king. We serve a king. We're trying to please a king. Christ is king. I asked you at the beginning of this message if you thought Esther was a hero. That was fun. Let's do it again. Do you think Esther is a hero? Yes. Me too. Are you a hero? Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be a hero of the faith? Me too. Ask yourselves this question. How have you been transformed by the gospel? If there's no fruit in your life, I want you to ask yourself if you're really a Christian. If you think that you saved yourself, what are you doing whenever you struggle with sin? Are you just letting yourself feel guilty and saying, well, it's a good thing grace abounds all the more? Or are you contending with Christ that He would transform you? 
When you come up against obstacles in your life, are you relenting, relegating yourself? Are you giving up on the problem that you're faced with because you think you're not good enough, strong enough, smart enough? Or are you reminded that there's power of the God that saved you that is going to empower you? When you sit down at the end of the year and you set objectives out and goals and things that you would like to accomplish, that you might be a godly man, that you might glorify God in your family and in your church, do you think that you're going to do it by your own means or are you trying to do it by His power? Moreover, are those objectives and those goals that you set, are they God's goals? Have you gotten them from the Bible? Are they derived from time and the Word? Are they directed by prayer? If you is what you was, you ain't a Christian. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for saving grace. Thank you for saving a sinner just like me. I know you still have the power to do it today. God, I pray that if there's any among us this morning that they would have confidence to respond to your word, that they would know that they have been saved, that it's nothing that they can do, but that it's all by you, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of our own works, so that no man may boast. Help us to respond to your sweet, sweet love that that gives us that salvation, that we might too be a hero of the faith like Esther, even though we are nothing more than vile man, depraved in our nature, warring against the flesh. Help us, Lord, to be a hero of the faith this morning. Let us be reminded, as the hymn writer said, that if today would be that day that we turn to you, that we have no less days than to sing God's praise. Amen. Would you stand with us as we prepare to sing? Number 300.